Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for anyone in a relationship. I'm Sarah Studeville, a therapist, writer, journalist, queer, non-monogamous, mom, and wife. And I am Alex Stonehill. I'm a communication professional, uh, an educator, um, Sarah's husband, uh, and uh, my role on the podcast is to complement all of those qualifications that Sarah had uh, by intellectualizing my feelings and avoiding vulnerability for uh, what I feel and say in a typical masculine way. That's great. Yeah, and, cool. And um, I'll get yeah. lost in my yeah. feelings and then I'll run off to the bathroom when I'm afraid I'm going to cry. And also because I have a very small bladder. Perfect. So Sarah and I have been married for 13 years. We have two young children um, and we opened our relationship about two years ago. Um, and today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, what seems to be a classic newbie mistake for people uh, trying non-monogamy, which is dating a couple and thinking it will be easier than dating on your own. But before we get there, Sarah, uh, I realized that in the past episodes, we've been throwing around the terms non-monogamy um, and polyamory maybe sometimes, and a friend the other day said, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? Is that like that show Big Love? on HBO, um, <laughs> which uh, led us to believe that maybe we should uh, take a little time to explain what we actually mean um, when we say those terms. And, and you know, different terms mean different things to different people. So do you want to talk about how you think about non-monogamy and why that seems to be what you say? Yeah. Well, I mean, short answer, it's exactly like Big Love, the TV show. So he, your friend was right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. It's, you know what? Perfect. It's not. It's not true, and it's not even a very good show. I don't think. Oh, it's not like, spicy! Is that even a beloved show? For yeah. a second episode, hot, Alex. Hot take for 2006. That was a hot take. Big love. Not so good. I don't even like that guy. Whoever it is. All right. What okay. Is that his name? Okay. <laughs> that, we'll Paxton save some of that. Uh, anyway. we'll do a deeper dive on that in future podcasts. Uh, okay. So just to clarify, Big Love is a show about polygamy, um, which is a practice of having men having multiple wives, right? And often kind of shows up in pretty patriarchal cultures and uh, is sometimes like religiously yeah. based. I think that show is about... Like by definition, patriarchal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that show is about yeah. so, Mormons practicing. So what's people. the difference between that and polyamory? Um, and why do you say non-monogamy instead of polyamory? Right. Not to put so, you on the spot. Yeah, but no problem. Uh, explain yourself. Yeah. Uh, so from the very beginning, I was have been kind of confused by those terms, non-monogamy and and polyamory. I mean, just to start, polyamory implies, you know, if we talked about polygamy up top, it is about everyone involved in the system or like it not being gendered, right? So it being Mm. multiple loves, polyamory, right? Um, So people loving multiple people. Um, And non-monogamy. But what is love? Oh, jeez. No, just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll save that okay. for a later episode, too. <laughs> yeah. What is love? Um, non-monogamy is really just like defined against monogamy. Monogamy being the practice of two people being exclusively um, in an intimate romantic relationship with each other. Non-monogamy implies yeah. that you are not doing that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I initially kind of didn't like about that term is like defining something by what it's not. Um you know, it seems a little weird, but I do, I, th- I think I've come to understand that the term, it speaks a little bit more to like the practice or the activity. Um, whereas a lot of people use polyamory as more of an identity marker that like, I am a polyamorous person and no matter what circumstance I'm in, that's just like something about me, which I certainly would not take that away from, from anyone. Um, it's not something that I relate to as much, but it also occurs to me that like, all of these are things, you know, there's other terms like uh, relationship anarchy. And there was one that you said a minute ago, um, and I'm forgetting now. Uh, when we like were talking. Oh, ethical non-monogamy and non-hierarchical relationships. Um, and I think a lot of people's orientations to the things things will change through the, the practice as well. So in like three years, I might, you know, really feel like I am a polyamorous person. And that's a part of my identity. And maybe that's just not what I feel like right now is like I'm a person who's practicing non-monogamy and hopefully ethical non-monogamy so enm which is which is interesting too that putting the ethical marker on there is kind of like it seems very pointed like 
I would hope that I'm practicing ethical most things in my life. Uh, but I feel like that's just like I'm not cheating. Like ethical yeah, non-monogamy, right. consensual non-monogamy. You see this on the apps, right? That's just I'm not cheating. Everyone who I am dating knows that I am dating other people or knows yeah, that I'm non-monogamous. Right. Um, I think also it's worth saying polyamory, I do think for a lot of people that kind of implies that you're having ongoing longer involved kind of community oriented relationships with folks um, as opposed to being out there just like not just, but dating lots of people. Um, So Mm -hmm. it feels like a distinction worth saying because I think that's, um, that's how people often use it to talk about that. too. Yeah. And I would love to get a chance to talk more on this podcast about the community elements um, and how, that does spring up. And I think, you know, when we started, we were thinking much more like, I'm going to go on dates with people and, you know, maybe have sex with them and maybe like build, you know, intimacy with them or maybe not. And then, you know, that, that would be like inside of a very rigid container and it wouldn't touch the rest of my life. And I, you know, I don't think that's how it's turned out. And I, I'd be curious if that really works out for anybody in that way because and now here you know, we are two years later overlap. and my girlfriend is coming over to make dinosaur shaped pizza with our kids tonight. Yep. Um, so yeah, speaking of that too, I, let's talk a little bit about, um, our, our kind of why behind this and maybe I can start like, why did we open our marriage? Um, you know, that is, like I said, it's been uh, almost two years and it's something that we talked about for a fair amount of time before that, but not, not too long really before we just like kind of dove in and did it. But, but I think the original impetus of that was probably, um, you know, that I fell for someone else and, uh, it, while that wasn't like really manifest, uh, it raised the, the question for us of like having other relationships and whether our relationship was like the only one that either of us ever wanted to have, um, you know, for the rest of our lives in that sort of, um, whatever fairy tale monogamy kind of way. Um, you want to talk about how that, you know, what, what kind of you, you brought to the table or, or how you thought about it? What? Well, before I do that, I mean, I think it's important to just pause and be like, that sucked, you know, not to, not to glide past that too quickly. Um, it really was very hard. Um, when you fell for someone outside of our monogamous relationship and it was super disruptive and rupturing. And I think it called into question a lot of things about our relationships are a identity um, and what we wanted. And I just don't want to give the impression to people that we were like, huh, interesting. Well, my husband's, you know, fallen for someone else. Maybe we should try non-monogamy. Uh, <clears throat> there was like yeah. some deep, dark bottoms <laughs> that we had to sort of scrape ourselves along before we got to that point. So I, I just feel like it's important to say that. Yeah. When I use the word interesting, I might have actually meant miserable. Yeah. Extremely difficult. Um, this is the part where yeah. you're intellectualizing uh, and I'm about to cry, I think, that we referenced Yeah, exactly. Earlier. Yes. Cool. Yes. We, we held true to our promises <laughs> up top. Um, yeah. Yes. It was very hard. Um, and it, um, I don't know. I mean, I almost want to say it like continues to be. Um, I do think that, you know, that was sort of like, yeah. We definitely had some distance from that when we like made the choice to like, you know, together kind of step into trying to do this um and from the stories that we'll tell on this podcast it's like there that it all kind of happened at the same time for us like we said okay we're gonna do this and we you know we started doing it together but certainly uh it to some extent it started with that relationship um and then for you i'm sure there were some some reasons that it was was interesting right it wasn't just a reaction yeah i would say uh We'll explore some of this in today's podcast. A short answer, and I think an easy one that I often give people, is it was an opportunity for me to explore my identity as a bi woman, as a queer woman, which was something that in a monogamous relationship with a man was not as available to me. Um, But that also feels a little dishonest because it's a little too neat and tidy. And I would say it's been like a long journey to kind of find that that piece of... um, of motivation and connection to non-monogamy and my queer identity and that really feeling like an important piece of it. Um, and then there was just also like, let's be honest, 
you and I, I mean, we are, we have a background in conflict journalism, in all sorts of kind of like adventurous endeavors. And there's not a lot that you and I come up with and think, oh, what, what might this be like? That doesn't end up being something mm-hmm. you try. So I think that yeah, was, that it does was seem like we sometimes well. <laughs> almost dare ourselves and each other to to do things, or it's we don't. It doesn't feel good to, for us to say no. We would never do that, right? Um, yeah, and I think I mean the other pieces, just the pandemic, uh, definitely like I think made it feel kind of like the world was ending. What, what better time you know, to open up your relationship than during a global all, pandemic? Right. <laughs> All the systems are falling apart. Um, so let's, you know, challenge this other one, especially when we don't have a lot of opportunities to like interact with other people in general. Let's make sure I'm sure those interactions are really intense. <laughs> yeah, we're like, it's already super challenging and scary. What if we added another challenging, scary thing to the mix? Yeah. Right? I mean, it definitely made it not boring, which I think maybe a lot of the pandemic time was was boring for other people, yeah. Um, as well as traumatic. So uh, the kids are only with their babysitter for another forty five minutes or so. So should we get this show on the road and dive into this week's uh, mistake and the story we want to tell? We should. All right. Yeah. Today's topic goes back to the very first month um, when we were experimenting with with non monogamy um, and. Uh, I think that this was really a shared mistake. That was definitely not your mistake. Um, we both mistakes were made, I will say, uh, <laughs> in this situation. Um, but Sarah, why don't you start uh, and just kind of take us right into the middle of the the action? All right, I'm setting the scene. It's August 2020, I think. Right, so deep in pandemic times too. To reference our earlier point, uh, you and I had been chatting with folks online for maybe. A month at that point, um, and you had, I had met a guy online, we'd been chatting, we were having fun, he said that his wife was interested in you, um, and you and I had kind of a quick talk about like, oh, hey, what if we dated this couple? And I know that for me, immediately, I thought, oh yeah, this sounds way safer, way less scary than the idea of just going out there and like meeting people and, and especially meeting random dudes. Um, so I, w- I remember thinking like, yes, this is great. And like, we can be friends and they like have kids and they're also new to this. And what could be more perfect? This is like non-monogamy with training wheels. <laughs> um, so you started chatting with her, you two hit it off. And within like a week or so, you had made plans to go on a date. I think you like maybe went on one or two dates and then ended up sleeping with each other. Um, And so that was like the first time that you had slept with somebody outside of our marriage, right? And as Mm -hmm. will become a theme in this story and probably throughout this podcast, I was like, I may or may not have feelings about that, but I'm not thinking about them now. I am forging ahead. (laughs) Um, So I don't think Mm -hmm. I really like paused at the time to really like think about what that felt like or for us to talk about it very much. And I immediately felt this pressure that I needed to go out and do the same thing. Right. So make a date with this guy, go out, sleep with him. You would talk to him a lot, like chatted with him on the apps and then off of the apps. I don't know if you ever like talked on the phone, but you had like a, uh, you had been out of town. Um, so you had like a couple weeks at least, if not more of, of like pretty hot and heavy (laughs) interaction before you met up like it was like you kind of knew each other through that medium but you didn't obviously hadn't met in person um i mean it's still obviously a huge jump to like go to get a hotel with somebody and you're gonna sleep with them but um yeah oh yeah did we mention that part how we just booked a hotel without ever having met each other and we were just gonna like meet up for a drink and then go sleep together (laughs) yes that yeah which is an even more condensed version of essentially what me and the woman had yeah. done prior to that. It was which bold. I'll talk about that that part in a minute, but I want you to go first. Yeah, so uh, you're right. We had been chatting with each other. We had enjoyed chatting with each other. It was fun. Set this up. Booked the hotel room. Again, I just can't emphasize enough this idea that, you know, when I think about the mistake here, a big part of it for me was I was not checking in with myself at all along the way. It was just kind of like, I have set my sights on doing this thing. It may or may not be scary. I don't even know. It's just about accomplishing it, right? Um, 
so I went to go meet him. I remember it was like hot. It was smoky. It was like smoke season in Seattle. Uh, there were very few restaurants open at that time. You know, they're all. You mean the open. weather was hot and smoky, not the interaction. Yes, the weather was hot and smoky. <laughs> the interaction would prove to be quite the opposite. <laughs> um, and I remember, like, you know, again, these like pandemic things where we like had took COVID tests ahead of time, had to find a place that had outdoor seating. Lots of places weren't open, um, but it was all set up, hotel set up. And I got all dressed up. I, like, packed my little bag. I remember putting on, like, a fancy kind of dress for the first time in probably, certainly since the pandemic, right? It was like, oh, I guess I will not be wearing sweats to this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, found some wrap dress that I put on. um, And I headed out. And as I was walking up to the table to meet this guy, even before... I met him. I remember this kind of like feeling of a cold sweat coming over me and just like this uneasy feeling that something really wasn't right. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I remember because I thought, just turn around and go home. It's, he hasn't seen you yet, mm-hmm. right? You could just turn around and go home and not do this. Um, and again, I really wish that I had listened to myself at that moment. It wouldn't have been very nice right? Uh, But I think ultimately it would have been the right thing for me to do uh, for myself and probably everyone else involved. But I didn't because I was had my sights set on a mission. I was trying to keep up. Alex had slept with somebody. Alex had slept with this person's wife. This was part of the deal, right? And the moment I met him, you know, perfectly nice guy in any number of ways, but I was just like, no, I can't. I cannot do this. I just can't do it. And it was like, I just kind of felt myself shutting down. And I was trying so hard to be friendly and to be fun and to be flirty in all the ways that we had been online and that we had been via text. Um, And to just be like, you just have nerves or cold feet and talk myself into it. Like, you know, you'd set yourself up to do this thing and you got to do it. Um, But honestly, I remember I had a cold sweat. I couldn't, I tried to like take a bite of French fries and it was just like dust in my mouth. I almost immediately got up and went to the bathroom. I remember standing in the bathroom and like putting cold water on my face and legit being like, is there a way I can just go out the back of this building? I was Mm. panicking. I was panicking. That's so intense. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that's, it sounds so intense and, Definitely, like, different than my experience, uh, but, you know, not not drastically different. Um, and I, I think that, you know, yeah, that's where, where some of the mistake lies is, is I can imagine that for you going into that situation, you had all of the added pressure, like you said, of, like, me having done it and me having done it with, you know, someone who is in a relationship with this person that you were then supposed to do it with. So it just, like, builds a lot of layers of expectation on top of, you know, you know, what would have been a normal ish first date where you can really, you know, feel things out and decide if you click with the person, if you like them, if you're attracted to them on all the different levels, um, or none of those levels. But yeah, that's a lot of pressure to, to, to follow through on something that it's, it's also kind of like, well, we agreed on this thing. And I guess that is what was a little bit strange about it for me is that what I was doing was, you had started talking to to him first and then I started, you know, I sort of matched with the person who it was clear was his wife. And then we started talking, but I was kind of like doing that in a way to protect myself or a way to protect us that I was like, I'm not like really that into this person necessarily. We're not really completely clicking maybe, but it felt a little safer to be like, um, you know, she's a known quantity relative to this person that Sarah's talking to. And like, we can just like, take these steps forward together or sort of in parallel. Um, But yeah, uh, you've talked a little bit about how that felt, but um, can you tell me a little bit more about how it felt? I mean, just the the walking away part. um, And, and then, you know, we were both in the same city. I was waiting at home. Yeah. Going back there, 
even just like in the memory of this story, that was that was a pretty tough experience, and I'm sure it was for him too. I basically came out of the bathroom, and I was like, I can't do this, and I have to go home. Um, and I know he was disappointed and unhappy about that. Uh, but I mean, I honestly didn't even really hang around to to absorb that response. Um, and I remember on the ride home, you know, I was learning to be a therapist at the time. Um, so I was just beginning to be familiar with the idea of trauma responses. And I remember on the way home being like, I'm having a trauma response right now. Like my systems are kind of shutting down. I am back in some traumatic experiences as though they were happening in real time. I'm not even really having a response to this guy or this situation as much as I'm having a trauma response, I think, to uh, some past experiences with men and with sex and with pressure and with the forcing myself to do things or being forced to do things that I didn't want to do. Um, mm -hmm. And on that ride home, I was so mad. Um, I just thought, like, you know, how is this going to be fun, right? We, like, opened up our relationship with the idea that it was going to be a fun adventure, and I remember thinking that it felt like you were having fun adventures. And here I was, first time out of the gate, having some massive trauma response and realizing that this probably was going to be an experience where I unearthed a fair amount of difficult um, experiences and probably excavated some of my own, like, trauma related to assault and the experience of being a woman in the world. And I was, mm -hmm. I was fucking pissed. That's what I remember feeling on that. Ride so home. you remember feeling angry? Yeah. Like at him, at me, at, at him, at you, at myself. Um, just like realizing, you know, I, I, there was part of that feeling just being like, why can't I just be fucking fun? Why can't I be fucking cool? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody else here is being fun and cool. And you know, I'm having this big, dramatic, unhappy, unpleasant experience um, and, and then being scared that that's what this was going to look like going forward uh, and not really knowing how to share that with him, not knowing how to share that with you, being afraid that if I did, um, I would just like further reveal myself to not be up to the task of non-monogamy um, or just not to be like down and fun, but to be kind of like damaged and sad. Yeah, it's. It sounds like a lot of pressure and a lot of stuff that you had uh, been able to kind of not think about, um, you know, being in a a long-term marriage. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it, it rose up in that context sometimes as well between us. But um, it's it was camouflaged. I think it was definitely operating in my life and in our relationship. But it was camouflaged by having been in a monogamous relationship with a man. Uh, for 15 years yeah yeah and like just to think about the 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 contrast there like like I said it was not like I was having a completely liberatory experience um you know being with a new person after a really long time was very uh was scary but ultimately it was like kind of validating in some ways that like you know my my value like my, uh, the value of my masculinity my sexuality um you know i felt like oh this person likes me i know that somebody likes me and they desire me in that way and that was kind of like the overwhelming the overwhelming feeling not necessarily that it was fun but it was like you know all was what felt like positive reinforcement um i will say it was also like a little bit sad too i mean i did the same thing of like going to a hotel with this person who i had met in person a couple of times but like which is like so intense like that's just in in retrospect now it's just madness to be like okay we'll get a hotel and sleep over like what i found with dating other people like the sleeping together quote unquote like sleeping in the same bed is more intense than sex um but yeah not to go off on a tangent i just like it's i, I feel like there are some you know intensely different gender experiences or you know just like the background that you had and that you were drawing on um it's just so different and yeah 
want to say that I'm sorry that it felt that way. And, and I, I appreciate you doing it, I guess. Um, you know, but I also feel, uh, it feels hard that like, you know, it probably felt like you were doing it for me in some ways. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate the recognition, um, too, that I was like trying to be game for something that I probably wasn't totally ready for, or certainly not at that pace. Um, and I think when getting into the heart of the mistake that was made, I was doing it for you at that point. Um, and in, on one hand, you could say that that's like a gesture of like love and willingness to try something difficult for someone. But I think like when it comes to non-monogamy and polyamory, everyone involved has to find a way to connect to their own reasons and excitement and desires to do it. And at that point, I really wasn't. I think I was just connecting to the fear of being left behind. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think that was a theme that came up a lot, just this idea of like, you know, I probably said like a hundred times in the course of uh, our relationship being open, like, we don't have to be doing this. We can stop or like, um, and, and I'm sure that comes up for other couples a, a lot too. But the, the words don't necessarily like mean what they sound like, or I'm sure it didn't feel like, it sounds like it didn't feel like we could stop or it didn't feel like you didn't really have to do it. Um, even if it was a thing that we had kind of like both, you know, consented to or both agreed to, it was like, there's a lot, there's a lot of little choices and little actions that you have to take beyond, you know, that big picture decision of wanting to date other people. Yeah. And I'm here also on behalf of all the people who are non-monogamous out there, um, for whom it is hard, right? Uh, I think sometimes there's this misimpression that if you're suited to this or if you should be doing it, then it's supposed to be easy and joyful and natural, right? Um, but I encounter a lot of people just socially in dating and certainly in my practice because I work with lots of folks who are opening up, who are not monogamous, polyamorous, for whom it's really hard. It's difficult. It activates trauma. Um, it activates attachment issues. Um, it really often pushes them to work on things that are very difficult. And we're still making the decision to stay there and, and want to continue doing it despite the fact that it can activate those things for us. So I'm also just like putting in a little like shout out for those of us who are non-monogamous, polyamorous, and there are parts of it that are really joyful and wonderful, but there are parts of it that are really, really hard. And maybe in the beginning, uh, more parts that are hard than anything else. And yet we still feel compelled to stay because it feels like there's some kind of learning here that's valuable. I start thinking about non-monogamy and, you know, I'm like pretty uninformed and I'm just like, wow, you know, orgies and sex parties and I don't know, just like having so much fun or, or whatever, going out for fancy dates and staying in hotels. Like it just sounds like so fun. Um, If you're a fun person, unlike me. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, it also sounds like horrifying. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess like, I don't know. Do you want to respond a little bit directly to that, like, dichotomy or, like, conflict between, like, the deep trauma that is clearly, like, right there when you get into this versus the, like, ooh, well, we're just going to fancy I mean, hotels and eating food. I would trip. respond the trauma is there anyway. Uh, so you might be shedding light on it or kind of bringing it up, but it's an opportunity to do that is better than not doing it but you know that's speaking for you sarah (laughs) well and i would respond by saying over an entire lifetime of just being like god damn it sarah why can't you be more fun more lighthearted, like just easier like more down more like into just doing like casual fun dating or casual fun sex or just like being cool i was like i know I'll become non-monogamous and it will finally force me to be that way. And I will do all of the sex parties and I will 
have all the casual sex and I will go to the hotels and and finally I'll be that person. And surprise, surprise, no, I became non-monogamous and I am still someone who is very sensitive, um, pretty earnest, slow to develop trust with people. Uh, And ultimately, like when I do get intimate with people, it's really like meaningful and powerful to me, but it's few and far between and it takes me a lot of time. So it's interesting that like, whether I was monogamous or non-monogamous, those things continue to be the same about me. Um, and partly like that does relate to what we've been talking about regarding trauma. Uh, and partly it's just who I am, right? I have, that's just the person I am. And so I'm going to be that way no matter how my relationships are organized. And I think it's been kind of a long journey to me like accepting that about myself and maybe learning to like it instead of be mad at it. <laughs> Yeah, accepting like who you actually are. Uh, I I feel like for me, a lot of it is, um, you know, you you just get to find out so much about like you, I might have thought before like, oh, going to a hotel with somebody and spending the night and having sex with them like is just something that I'm never gonna do again. And it's like it turns into the realm of like kind of fantasy, um, and it is like fantasies are in the realm of fantasy, right? There's no it's not real. There's no consequences. And then you find out a lot more about like the things that suck about it and are devastatingly awkward. And like, you know, it might still be a thing that you want to do, but you're not walking around like, you know, imagining the way it would be in, from an uninformed perspective, if that makes sense. So like, yeah, it's not all it's cracked up to be, but you do get to like grow into like knowing what those experiences are actually like rather than being like a a deluded person or something. Nothing takes the fun out of a sex party, like going to a sex party. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe we just haven't been to the right sex parties. I don't know. People are having them an awful lot for, uh, or so I'm led to believe for, for them being just like miserable, but right. But the yeah. point just kind of being that in a lot of ways, non-monogamy allows you to explore things that have lived in the realm of fantasy. And that's really fun and exciting, but it also, uh, reveals pretty quickly the difference between fantasy and the real world. Yeah. Non-monogamy, it ain't all that sexy. That would be the title of your book. <laughs> Should we play some hilarious clips now? <laughs> like, now for it seems a total, like the perfect total segue. shift in tone. No. Uh, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> So we watched a movie, uh, a rom-com. On Valentine's called, Day. On, oh, on Valentine's Day, yeah. Uh, called uh, I Want You Back. Um, and there were, it's, I think because we've been starting to have some of these conversations, there were some parts of it that really stuck out as, you know, humorous treatments of some of these issues. Um, so the first one is, uh, oh, it's like, <laughs> I, w- I want to introduce it just because it's too women and the backstory of what's the hijinks that are going on in the in the the plot of the movie we'll we'll leave that aside but uh it's two women and they're like kind of trying to have a threesome with this guy but neither of them really wants to for different reasons but they're trying to signal that they do and hilarity ensues okay roll the tape okay you know you don't have to do this if you don't want to really don't what i'm I'm just saying you don't have anything to prove to Logan or me or... No, I could that. just... No, no, no. This is for me. I'm doing this for me. I'm a maybe sexually adventurous person. Hi, maybe. Yep. I feel like when we watched that right. on Valentine's Day, I was just like, that's me. That's me. The, what, yeah. what, what? I am doing this for myself. I am a sexually adventurous person. How dare you suggest I don't want to be here? <laughs> While I'm just, like, sitting on the edge of the seat, like, sweating bullets. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, like, <laughs> I see that. I see you, Sarah, in that clip. Um, and also, like, it's funny because the the man in the situation is, like, sort of a character of, like, a completely oblivious, like, self-assured man who's just, like, of course these women both want to have sex with me and at the same time. And, of course, my wife, like, wants to experiment with this. And he's, like, very comfortable in him wanting to do it as well to the point of like, you know, it's, it's like a joke about how uh, confident he is. Um, so 
I would say I did not see myself in that that depiction, but um, but there is like a lot of those themes of wanting to keep up, right? And this sense that like Mm -hmm. if you don't like something that your partner likes, if you don't want to do something that your partner wants to do, if you don't do it at exactly the same time and exactly the same pace with the exact same amount of enthusiasm, you're going to run the risk of being left behind or. Um, of things becoming unequal in some way that might be threatening or damaging to the relationship. So I think that that, again, is at play, whether you're in a monogamous relationship or not, um, this sense that like a successful romantic intimate relationship is exactly on the same page about especially things related to sex and intimacy at all times. And if not, there's some big, terrible problem that might threaten to ruin the relationship. Yeah. And maybe that's like the hardest, some of the hardest part, um, like trying to keep keep up, keeping pace, mm-hmm. parity. Yeah, and so I, as we're kind of like circling back yeah. to the what are the mistakes that were made? I mean, I think we got into trauma really quickly, and this idea of I think I made a mistake in not being kinder to myself and a little more trauma informed in the way I was like handling myself, basically not being kinder to myself. And then I think there was this other one uh, that was just doing stuff out of a sense of like urgency and fear that if I didn't do it, something bad would happen or I would be left or left behind Uh, instead of communicating uh, with myself and with my partners what I was feeling and what was going on. Let's listen to the other clip because I think it starts to talk about um, some of the mistakes I made. I mean, I don't want to brag, but um, in high school, I once kissed my married gym teacher, and his wife was really hot, so. Oh, no. And it was like, a whole thing. Um, let's move past that. All right, and then I could <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Yes, yeah. that conversation. It's iconic. It, that is classic. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, I mean, to... to to suss it out, he she's she's revealing something that she thinks is funny, maybe, uh, or you know, has has put that that framing around it, and um, is clearly revealed to be like deeply troublesome, and she's probably you know traumatized by it, and then him hearing that just is like, uh oh, okay, let's move along, and just like not being able to hold any space for it, um, but but just sort of like wanting to get get past it because of probably you know that feeling of implication that i was talking about um i think oftentimes when other people have experienced trauma and we associate ourselves with the, like perpetrators of that or like feel feel ashamed or at fault then it's just like well let's i'd rather not talk about that right that makes me uncomfortable um and i think there was there was definitely some of that going on for us like how could i have not really known at the time how hard it was going to be for you you know i was just like kind of in my own head and like well I can do this. I can get through this. Maybe even like kind of centering, like, you know, I'm sort of doing this for Sarah because she likes the dude. And so I'm going to like, you know, create this relationship with this, this other person in parallel. Um, and yeah, not just not, not thinking. I mean, I know you really well. I, I know about a lot of your experiences. Like you've shared a lot of things with me. Like, so I, I was probably deliberately kind of like not making space for, those and and not reminding you even to like take care of yourself and in those moments when there was this inequity right where you were enjoying being non-monogamous and i wasn't whether it was inside this example or more broadly because it would come up again and again uh it was hard to just hold space for the possibility that you and i were having really different experiences and that didn't mean either of us were doing anything wrong and it didn't Mm -hmm. mean that this was wrong for us. So I think that's like kind of a big, a big picture piece of this too. And I don't think I came home from that experience and even told you what I Mm. was feeling. And honestly, now that I'm thinking back on it, I remember just being like, I feel sick and I didn't want to do it. And so I just came home and I like went to bed and I slept for like 12 hours. Mm -hmm. I remember that too. Yeah. You described the physical feelings, but you didn't really, talk about the whys and it wasn't or the, the the deeper feelings um and it wasn't until you wrote about it i think that you i i learned more about what that was like what that was actually like for you um so yeah in terms of like thinking of how 
how we could have handled that better. We've talked about some things, but like, uh, I do want to talk about like, we've been talking about trauma a lot and I hear you say the word trauma informed and other people say the word trauma informed. Like how could we have managed that situation or, you know, don't, how, how could we have had that experience in a, in a trauma informed way? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, think? I think I mentioned earlier that, uh, trauma, one way that we define it and it's, we could do an entire podcast about this, but, uh, you think of it as like a, it can be the experience of a severing of safety, of connection and of dignity. And we tend to think of it as event based and it certainly can be, and has been in my case. Um, and it can also be an ongoing experience of living inside a culture or being in relationships where you're feeling that severing of safety or of connection or of dignity. And the way it functions kind of in our minds and our bodies is when something triggers that trauma, right? Like in the case of this date, the date itself, just like seeing this person triggered it for me. It's as though I am back in those moments of trauma. I'm living them again, whether it's relationships or incidents, and my whole body thinks I'm there. So I have that kind of fight or flight response. I'm like shutting down or I'm disassociating. I'm panicking. Uh, my nervous system is just behaving as though I am being threatened um, in, in the way I was in those past traumatic situations. Um, so that's just like a little bit about how it's happening. And when we talk about like as therapists, often what we're trying to do with trauma is not eradicate it, but just integrate it and not just, but to integrate it into the timeline of our lives and to who we are so that it doesn't live in that sort of like separate space where it can take over at any moment. And when it does, being more informed about what's happening and how to help ourselves or people around us when it's happening. And it's like pretty common that people have trauma, right? Like I think a lot of times uh, it's not something that, that like part of the barriers to being able to do what you just said is, you know, admitting that you have had those experiences in the first place. Um, I don't feel like really like I, I am deserving of that label. Like mm -hmm. I can think of way more terrible experiences that other people can, have had, um, you know, especially based on, or it doesn't even have to be, but based on their, their different backgrounds, um, you know, social systems of oppression uh and you know the things that you described even in this podcast today so um it's it feel would feel weird for me to be like oh i've experienced this trauma right like for me to try to own that um but it seems like it's something that comes up very often and probably would you say like everybody has experienced trauma i would i would and i think yeah. there's again a much larger deeper conversation to have about that and there's event-based and ongoing trauma and there's trauma that uh, demographics and groups of people experience because of those systems of oppression. There's complex compound trauma. Uh, and everyone has had the experience of having safety, dignity, and connection severed at some point in their lives. Um, and so that does live in, a, in all of us. And I think that that's an experience that in many ways can be deeply relatable um, across all of us. Um, so I think of being like trauma informed as not just like something that I think is important when you're in relationship with folks or you yourself are someone who has experienced really like recognizable forms of trauma, but it's just a way of, um, being with ourselves and each other that I think is more empathetic, more sensitive, kinder, and actually offers more opportunities to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. I totally see that. And, and maybe that's a first step to getting outside of that hall of mirrors kind of thing that we were describing before of, um, you know, uh, me being afraid of your trauma and you being afraid of me seeing it and, you know, being afraid of it. And um, that's a not a good place to be for us to be able to relate to each other, right? Inside of a marriage or inside of a new relationship um, or inside of a non-monogamous situation yeah because really in that situation like the uh the clip that you shared right these two people who are getting to know each other and ultimately falling in love when she shares that story of having had um a, experienced a predatory teacher right she's sharing it humorously 
and you know we want to honor how people have experienced stuff. Uh, and she's also sharing it as a way of being vulnerable and showing herself to this new person. And when his response was, okay, that sounds difficult and scary. Let's move past that. He's actually missed an opportunity to connect with her, right? She was mm-hmm. like reaching out as an opportunity to connect yeah. that he missed. So, you know. And it sounds like he's saying, oh, you're gross. Oh, you're gross. This makes me uncomfortable. I'm afraid we're going to uh-huh. get into some kind of territory where I'll maybe do something wrong or we'll make each other feel worse. So I'm just going to ignore that this has happened at all. Yeah. So note for whoever wrote that movie, it would have been a lot better if you just paused right there. They'd had a really long <laughs> conversation um, where he stopped <laughs> stopped the plot of the movie and said, yeah, it sounds like you're describing something really, really traumatic. Can you tell me more about how that feels? Or, or do you want to talk more? about it? Do you want to talk about it? Right. Yeah. Because being trauma-informed, just as a kind of um, nod to how does it function, how can we do it, it's being really consent-based, right? So always asking people for permission um, or asking whether it's to talk about something or to touch them, to recognize that something could be complex or difficult for someone or that they may be having a complex, difficult response, to acknowledge it and make them feel like you're aware of it and they're safe to have that response. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yay! Trauma! (laughs) Fun! (laughs) Fun! Cue the party music! Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, uh, I feel like we've come kind of to the end or or winding down here a little bit. Um, Is there anything you want to say about lessons learned, things that we learned from from these mistakes? Um, Yeah. We've covered some of that, but what do you think? I think, for me, uh, it really is about listening to myself and being kind with myself. Um, If something doesn't feel right, there's a reason. And slowing down to acknowledge what that reason is and communicate that to people I'm in partnerships with. Um, I think that is really key, you know, that just if your gut tells you something's not right, well, then something's not right. And we might just need to slow down and and find out what that is. and overriding that with a fear that you'll be rejected or left behind, uh, in fact, actually serves the opposite purpose because you're just getting further and further away from the people that you, you really want to connect with potentially. Yeah, and, it, and I guess on my side, it also makes me think about just like the feeling of moving too fast. Yeah. Like, trying to Trying to dive in at the beginning, we were bragging about how mm-hmm. fearless we are, right? And we just never met a challenge we don't want to take on um and i think in that in this situation that we're describing today it's like we're, we're probably kind of doing that we're like let's just get this out of the way dive right in forget about what our feelings are paper over those feelings and um and it'll be okay and you know there's we could probably be a little easier on ourselves right if i had it to do again yeah and also so many opportunities like in that clip uh, missed opportunities for you and I to slow down and learn about each other as well as to slow down and learn about the new people that we were getting yeah. to know in our lives. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, <laughs> that was that one was kind of intense, but I really appreciated it. Um, I think that that sort of stuff, whether it's showing up in, you know, traditional dating or non-monogamous dating, whether it's showing up inside you know, long-term relationships or shorter-term ones. It's pretty pretty relatable stuff. I appreciate you being willing to go there with me. I appreciate you sharing all of that with me, too. Yeah. I love you. I love you, Alex. <laughs> all right. Did we want to Should we do... do the part where we talk about questions? Why not? All right. So over the course of the past couple of years, you and I have gotten a lot, a lot of experience with telling people we're non-monogamous and then getting hit by a wave of response or questions. And I think we've probably started to identify some themes in that. Uh, and mm-hmm. we had kind of like an interesting example of that last night. What were we doing yeah, last night? We have really, really good material uh, for that because uh, last night we um, came, came out, I guess, to maybe co-opt a, a term. But we told my parents for the first time uh, that we're non-monogamous and, and have an open relation 
ship. Um, and went pretty well, actually. But they definitely had some good, uh, some classic questions. And um, one of the ones that really stuck out was uh, one of them. I'll, I'll allow them to be anonymous. <laughs> uh, said, well, like, what if you meet people and they just totally, like, fall in love with you? And it seemed like, you know, they were implying that, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, it was very flattering, right? Um, it was such a the, cute, like, parent that, thing where they're like, oh, yeah. but you're such a wonderful boy. <laughs> Anybody that you yeah. date is going to fall in love with you. And then Be what do careful. you do? And I was like, <laughs> are you talking about, like, fatal attraction? And it was clear that that was exactly what they were thinking of. That like, yes. I was getting yes. meet. They Glenn both were Close. nodding, and they're like, "Yes, Douglas. the rabbit." Yes, fatal. Attra- <laughs> yeah, fatal. Attra- yeah, <laughs> Glenn Close is gonna get obsessed with you, and yeah, then murder your pet rabbit. Is that what happens in that movie? I'm not really sure. I watched. That's it what happens again recently, but it really looms large for people of that generation. Clearly, um, so yeah. Uh, how do you respond to? the inevitable fatal attraction situation. I mean, to me, I was just like, oh, we, you have boundaries with people that you meet and develop new relationships with and are, are careful about their feelings. And, you know, before you, you know, to, to call back to our uh, episode today, before you, like, dive really deep in with them, you get to know them slowly and build trust. And, like, um, usually... You can see the the red flags or, um, I mean, and I don't even think it's fair necessarily to, uh, you know, in that movie, it's like a character, a caricature of like somebody who's just like a psycho, right? But like real people are in relationships having real experiences. So there are things that you could do as the other person in that relationship to like entice them further into that or, you know, to hold boundaries and, and tell them, you know, to show them that uh, that's, that's not what you're looking for. Yeah, I think you're right. I think boundaries and building trust and letting relationships develop over time are all key. Uh, But I also feel like you have to address some of the essential assumptions in the whole, like, what if someone falls in love with you? What what if someone does fall in love with you? Right? I mean, that that does happen. Um, And I think this idea that it would is a crisis is really informed by uh, super strict monogamous ideas about love only being allowed to be shared between people in this one specific way and if that uh, changes at all or if anyone else is enters into that equation then you're in danger right mm-hmm. i'm going to stop you right there because it sounds like a great teaser for what will likely be our next episode um, where we'll talk about that very situation that's right what happens when someone falls in love We'll we'll explore that next time. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our second episode of Mistakes Were Made. If you want to come on the show or talk about uh, and talk about a non-monogamous mistake you made, you see what I did there? Ooh, that was good. Yeah. Uh, A non-monogamous mistake, or if you just want to ask questions about non-monogamy, you can find us on Gmail and Instagram at mistakescast. That's M-I-S-T-A-K-E-S-C-A-S-T at gmail.com and mistakescast on Instagram. Please follow, like, and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be back soon with more of Mistakes Were Made. Thanks, everybody. Bye.